Hebrews 5.11. We have a great deal to say about this. And it is difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us grasp what he's saying to us this morning. Lord, you have spoken. You are the potter. We're the clay. You speak. We listen. But yet, Lord, you've invited us into a conversation with you. You've invited us to live in fellowship with you. So, Lord, as you speak to us this morning, help us to respond appropriately. Help us to listen humbly. Lord, help us to be confident in you. And not ourselves. Amen. I've been thinking a bit about childhood recently. Um, I've enjoyed the last few days having my sister, um, who has been living in Cambodia for the last 10 years. And she came home a couple of weeks ago and, of course, needed to be put into hotel quarantine in Sydney. And uh, during the week, her 14 days were done. And uh, I enjoyed driving down to Sydney and um, picking her up and she came back and stayed with us and our family for a few days and yesterday was able to fly back up to Queensland and um, the rest of the family are enjoying now seeing her for the first time in a few years. Um, It's something about when family get together um, where we start to reminisce She told all sorts of terrible lies to my children about what I was like as a kid. Um, Selective memory, I call it. Um, But we reminisced about childhood and all sorts of things. And I think probably my favourite childhood memory are the hours and the days that I spent playing in and around the Nicholson River in the Gulf of Carpentaria in far northwestern Queensland. I think every chance that I was allowed, and to be honest, probably a few chances that I wasn't allowed, I spent in and around that river. I'd walk the few minutes that it would take to get from our house down towards the bank. So I'd scramble down some washout that was there from the last wet season. And I'd pick my way between the paper barks and I'd find myself in a nice quiet spot beside the river. I'd either fish with friends We would swim together, we would stalk crocodiles and with all sorts of bravado, see who could be the closest to get to one uh, without showing the fear that we all had. It didn't seem to matter what we were doing as long as we were doing it near the river. The the Nicholson River is the lifeblood of that region. 
Every year during the wet season, millions of litres of runoff run into that river and it floods viciously. But the water that it collects sustains that land all the way through the following dry season. Or it should. Some years the wet season doesn't come strong enough. Some years it doesn't flood ferociously enough. And eventually the water dries up into stagnant pools that cease to flow. And when this happens, the river dries up. The land and the people suffer. And that, in, in a way, has become a metaphor for me of life, for myself and for many people. When our faith dries up, when it ceases to flow out from us, we suffer and so do other people. And I believe that's why the writer of the book of Hebrew kind of breaks his flow of thought. He takes a pause for a moment from what he has been saying and he offers a sharp rebuke. And I think he gives us an important observation that we would be wise to listen to. So let's see the rebuke for a moment and see what it is that he's trying to help us understand. Hebrews 5, just read verse 11 with me again. Find it in your Bibles. Hebrews 5, verse 11. It says, We have a great deal to say about this. And it's difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Too lazy to understand. That's the rebuke. Too lazy to understand. I was prepping with this during the week and chatting with Tim about it, actually. It's pretty harsh, right? I mean, I, not too many people. We don't often walk up to each other and say words like that without expecting that there's going to be some sort of fallout. Now, you're too lazy. This is not a jest. This is not a joke. This is not some Australian sarcasm. And no matter which way you cut it, this is a pretty harsh comment. There's no real easy way to even water it down. I can't even sweeten it up with a bit of context. You're too lazy to understand, he says. I even tried having a look at some different translations. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. I thought maybe the different translation would pick it up a little bit differently. ESV says, you're dull of hearing. You're dull of hearing. The New Living Translation, Tim's, one of Tim's favourite translations, it waters things down a bit, so... Oh, that's, no, it's a joke. That's it's not true. Just a little joke between us. But it's, it phrases things differently and a little bit more nicely at times, and this is what it says. You're spiritually dull. And don't seem to listen. I'm not even sure the message is going to water that down any, any nicer. Like, it's just... What did the message say? 
We'll get to the message another week. <laughs> I hope that you've picked up at least the theme that's there. Yeah. You're too lazy to understand. You're dull. You're spiritually dull. This is not a, this is not a, a, a rebuke where someone's sort of tiptoeing around something here. The writer needs to help us see something important, and it's a danger. You see, the writer wants to say something more about something. We'll get to that in a moment. But he says that talking about it more will be difficult. And it isn't difficult to explain because it's a complex issue or because it's intellectually dense. No. He says it will be difficult to explain because his hearers are too lazy to listen. They hear it, but they hear it without understanding. And as I was reflecting on that, it reminded me a bit of when Jesus would finish up a parable by saying, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Or in the book of Revelation, as he was asking John to transcribe those letters to the seven churches, in one of those letters he says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand. Can you see the connection? If you've got ears, maybe, maybe you can say, well, I can hear, but Jesus says, really? Do you really have ears to hear? When he writes the letter to the, the church in Revelation, he says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand. And here the writer of the book of Hebrews says, listen, you're too dull in your listening. You're too lazy to understand. The understanding thing is the key to this. Because there is a way of hearing that fails to understand. Not because it's a difficult topic, but because we are too lazy to comprehend it. We grow content with being spoon-fed. Allowing others to do the work while sitting back and passively getting fat on second-hand maturity. That's what he says. No wonder the writer rebukes his hearers and no wonder the writer rebukes us. Now, if I haven't offended you to the point that you've closed your Bibles or switched channels, there's one more important observation to make about this rebuke and it hinges on the word this. Have a look at it in verse 11. We have a great deal to say about this. The writer has a subject in mind, a topic in mind that he wants to talk more about. So what is this? This? What is the topic that he wants to press in on and have his hearers grasp, listen and understand? Well, fortunately, the answer isn't too difficult. All we need to do is go back a little bit and we will see what he's just been saying. 
So I'm going to remind you of our big point from last week. If you were here or were listening, and if you weren't, uh, go back and have a listen. But I'll give you an insight into it from Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. That was our key verse, our big point. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. We have a high priest, one who sympathizes with our weaknesses, yet without sin, and didn't claim that position for himself, but was appointed to it by God. So on that basis, not on the basis of our willpower or our self-discipline or our spiritual prowess, on the basis that we have a great high priest, Jesus Christ, we hold fast to our confession that, remember, Jesus is enough, Jesus is sufficient, and Jesus is our only hope and plea. And it seems that the writer wants to say more about this. He says, we've grown too lazy to understand. The question that I had is, what type of lazy is he talking about? There's lots of different types of lazy. Well, here's what I can gather from what he continues to say, where he sort of highlights in what the real key problem is. What is the type of laziness of understanding that he's talking about? So look back at Hebrews 5, verse 12. Hebrews 5, verse 12. He says, Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk and not solid food. So I want you to notice that this rebuke isn't targeted at a bunch of Christians who'd gone worldly. This is not Christians who are out living for themselves, their pleasure, that they'd sort of forgotten about Jesus and they were out there just sort of living for their own desires, the own lusts of their own flesh or anything. It's not particularly targeted at them. But it is targeted at something just as dangerous. The writer is rebuking Christians with a knowledge that's dried up. I need you to see something important. He's not rebuking young Christians even. But he is rebuking Christians who should be mature, but have failed to grow up. Milk is appropriate for babies, right? It is. No no one, if they see a young mum giving their baby a bottle or their breastfeeding. No one says, oh, they should be on steak and veggies by now. We don't do that. Because we know milk is entirely appropriate for babies. But if we see a 20-year-old trying to breastfeed from their mother, not only would that be odd it would be highly inappropriate, right? Because we go, no, no, that's not how maturity and growing up works. You shouldn't be doing that. 
That's what the writer's saying to us spiritually. He's telling these people, listen, it's okay for young Christians to have milk. That's entirely appropriate. But by now, he says, you ought to be teachers. But in fact, you need someone to give you milk again. You see what the rebuke is? This is a type of dry knowledge that's connected to our confession. Because we might be able to quote verses... We could read thick theology books. We could sing hymns off by heart and get the words right. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) But if our knowledge isn't spilling over into a rock-solid confidence in the sufficiency of Christ for all of life, then the river has run dry. And you will suffer. And so will other people. And I'm not even saying that this is one of those messages where we sort of throw the head and the heart into the ring and get them to punch it out for a while and see which one is the most important. We have silly arguments about whether or not the head is more important or the heart is more important. That's not what the writers hear about. The problem is, is when we just disconnect the two. Not elevating one over the other. This is not about saying, well, intellect is more important or your emotional connection and and your relationship is more. It's not about that. It's saying if you disconnect either from the other, there's a problem. This is about connecting the head and the heart in such a way that our maturity is recognizable in tangible ways. When Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthian church, Paul uses the same analogy of milk and meat to describe Christians. Paul says that milk Christians are immature Christians, and he says they're worldly Christians, and that's true. But there is another type of milk Christian, immature Christians, who are the ones that rest their confidence on the wrong foundations. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, if you rest your confidence anywhere else apart from the sufficiency of Christ, our chosen and sympathizing high priest, if we rest our confidence on our performance spiritually or on our political alliances or our denominational heritage, or the reputation of your birth family, or the popularity of our heritage, or the if you rest if you rest your confidence on anything else apart from Jesus, he says, he says you're a milk Christian, an immature Christian. And if we're doing that, if we're attaching ourselves to all sorts of other identities apart from the sufficiency of Christ, then we've forgotten the very basics of biblical Christianity and we're sucking greedily at the breast of cultural Christianity. What makes me seem important? What makes me seem improved? What makes me seem superior? What makes me seem good? 
They're all poor substitutes for how can I abide in Christ? So no wonder we need the rebuke because we're all prone to doing that. So let's get this milk and meat thing clear because this is where he's going. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 13. He says, Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness. That's an important key. The message about righteousness. Because he's an infant. The key word in this comment is inexperienced. Maybe that could lead us to thinking, well, he's just having a go at young Christians. Remember, he's not. He's not saying if you're a young Christian today, you know, grow up, hurry up. There's a race here to be. He's not saying that at all. Remember, milk is entirely appropriate for babies, for young ones. This inexperience is not about youth or about age. When you go back and have a look at it closely, I need a little bit of help and a bit of digging in commentaries and you know, talking to some people who are much smarter than I am with original languages, but it really carries the, the idea of something which is untested or untried. So for this infant, righteousness that comes through faith in Christ alone is nothing more than a theory. Maybe it's a a tattoo or a badge that they like to display to try and demonstrate what type of Christian they are. But the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ is just a theory to them. It's not something that shapes their way of life. So if you're a new Christian today or just a young Christian and everything about Jesus seems fresh and new to you and you're beginning to find your way around the Bible, but it still seems so daunting, this rebuke isn't for you. We want to celebrate your growing up in the Bible and growing up in Christ. We want to celebrate the baby steps just like we do when our little one first finds their feet and takes one or two steps and falls flat on their face. We don't just go, oh, you're such a disappointment. (laughs) We don't do that as parents. We say, that was awesome. Do it again. So why would we do that with other young Christians? When they start to find their feet and fall flat on their face that we all stand around and say, oh, you're such a disappointment. No, celebrate young Christians taking faltering steps. This is not the rebuke that the writer of the book of Hebrews is wanting to give. He's wanting to give a rebuke to those who should be teachers by now, remember? The ones who, man, I went for a drive the other day and I saw something which was just phenomenal. I saw Josh running. The guy runs like a gazelle. Good on you, man. I only say that because I just don't run, ever. It's like a matter of principle. And I can't. I tried once. It didn't work out well. I thought, I'm never going to do that again. That's terrible. Like, we could celebrate Josh running a PB or whatever, and we can sort of say, man, he entered into a competition. He did really well. We expect that because he trains hard. I see him quite often running Far away from his house. I think, man, that's incredible. Um, 
We expect that because he's training and he's running and he's pushing himself and, and we can celebrate that. Remember, milk is entirely appropriate for an infant. But how do we move forward from here? I mean, if, if the milk in the spiritual context here is a rebuke which says, listen, if you're just in continually accumulating knowledge that remains untested and untried. It's like going to the gym and working out your brain without any strength training so that eventually you look like some of those guys that just juice themselves up on steroids and they sort of, you can think, man, that's impressive, but they're all show and no go, right? I won't say that to their face, but... But I wonder how many of us have spiritual lives that look a bit like that. We make it look impressive, but it's all show and no go. Looks impressive to the the new guy that turns up to the gym and they all think, man, I want to be like that one day. And the writer of the book of Hebrews says, if your faith, if your message of righteousness is untested, it's untried, it's all just theoretical to you, it hasn't shaped the way that you live your life from Monday through to Saturday, you can can look as impressive as you like. But he says, you're a baby. You're living on milk. So how do we move forward from here? Well, let's read verse 14, the last verse that we've got in our little passage. It says, but solid food is for the mature. Now, this is important. He's going to define what that means. What does Christian maturity mean? I've spent a lot of time in my life thinking about that. What does Christian maturity mean? What does it look like when someone is mature? And we use those words a lot. We talk about someone and say, oh, they've shown such maturity. Oh, they're, they're really mature in their faith. Or they're very immature. We use that language a lot in church circles. But what does it look like when someone is mature? Here, the, the writer of the book of Hebrews is going to define that for us. Solid food is for the mature. For those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. This is a person who lives out their life on the basis of the message of righteousness, that I'm not the righteous one, that Jesus is sufficient, that he's all I need, and that my life is found in him. I don't have to perform. I don't have to impress. I don't have to make it seem like I'm anything apart from that I'm not. I just need to live in Jesus every day, trusting that what he has done for me is enough. That if I do that, then day after day, I train my senses. I train how I engage in this world through sight, through touch, through smell, through taste. I I engage and train every day, bit by bit, to distinguish between good and evil in this life. Now, as the righteousness of Christ shapes my thinking in my life so much that I'm walking out my door on whatever day it is, and I can straight away start to say, that is not going to be healthy for my life or the people in my life. 
and this is. Not so that those things become a badge of honor for me, but simply because Christ living in me shapes my vision and my senses so much that I just go, this is the way that Jesus would walk and I'm following him. The writer of the book of Hebrews says that's maturity. I don't care if you don't have a bachelor of theology or if you didn't go to such and such a Bible college. I don't care if you became a Christian 18 months ago or got baptized two weeks ago. If you can start to walk with your senses tuned to what is right and wrong based on the righteousness of Christ and not your own, then you are growing in maturity. I don't want to finish on a downer where we're walking around the church saying, oh, you're a baby. (laughs) That's what the writer of the book of Hebrews says. But he finishes by pointing out the path that we should take. We pick a path back to Jesus. We start there. Lay aside the self-righteous preening of the spiritually vain and humble ourselves once again at the foot of the cross where we see that the source of any righteousness that we may have comes from Jesus alone. We learn to feast on Jesus. He is our milk and meat. He sustains us. So let me finish by reading to you from John chapter 6, verse 53. Jesus said to his, those that were gathered around him, Jesus said to them, Truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourself. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that come down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. Listen, Jesus is the substance that we're craving for. Anything else that we taste will not satisfy, even though it does seem to for a time. So maturity means training our senses. That isn't passive. I will never learn to run like Josh if I just continue to sit on my couch and think, wow, isn't it great that Josh can run like that? If I sit and admire him from a distance and his ability to run while sitting on my couch or jumping in my car to go down to the corner shop, which is about... You know, 500 metres away. You, you can't grow and train passively. I would have to get off my couch and say, you know, I, I don't think I'll be able to run like that, but maybe I could walk there for a while. Maybe I could build up to that. It's not passive. Maturity means training our senses in the righteousness of Jesus. Not so that we can pass a theology quiz or impress your Christian friends with how knowledgeable you are. 
but so that you can walk a path of holiness each and every day, discerning what is evil and good before you and walking in the righteousness of Christ. So I'm going to finish with our big point from last week because that's what this rebuke has to do with. Jesus is enough. He really is. Jesus is sufficient. There's nothing else that you need apart from him. And Jesus is our only hope and plea. If we've forgotten that, then this rebuke is for us. How do we move forward? Pick a path that leads back to Jesus and get off the couch and just start there. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for when we have tried to find our satisfaction in anything else apart from you. Forgive us that though we should be teachers, though we should be instructing and helping others in this race, we in fact are the ones who need to go back to milk again to discover the most basic foundations of Christian faith, and that is that you are enough, that you are our only hope and plea, that you are sufficient for our righteousness. So Lord, help us to see what our next step will be. Help us to get up off the couch and start training to live in righteous holiness because of what you have accomplished on our behalf. We thank you that though you rebuke us, you rebuke to heal. Lord, thank you for your grace. Lead us into righteousness, we pray. Amen.